our voice. Our future. Join us as we explore the real power of youth rising. Youth rising. Youth rising. The Youth Rising podcast by NCS. Welcome to Youth Rising by NCS, the podcast for young people by young people. In this podcast, you'll hear youth-driven stories from right across England about the issues that matter to young people right now. Each episode, we're covering two stories from across a spectrum of topics, ranging from the environment, mental health, social justice, plus equality and diversity. So far, we've discussed meme culture, feminism, mental health in young men and fast fashion. From the editorial, reporting and editing, this podcast is run by a group of 16 to 19 year olds. We're taking control of our content and now is the time to hear young people share the story of us, told by us, voicing our opinions. This podcast is happening all thanks to NCS, the summer programme for 16 to 17 year olds that helps to turn all those no you can'ts into no we can. Hey, I'm Eleanor, your host, and in this episode, we'll be looking at prison reform. We're really going to get into what the prison experience is actually like. And for our second story, we're looking at the pressures of social media. So let's get into the first story. Now, from the get-go in life, we're told that if you do something wrong, you'll be punished, whether it's in secondary school, getting detentions, and sometimes even primary school. But... Is it as simple as that? The debate about what the prison experience should be like rumbles on. Should prison be used to improve people's lives and set them up for a better life when they leave? Or should it be a time for punishment where people pay for the crimes they've committed? To really delve into this more, reporter Stephanie and I were super fortunate to have a chat with two experts, Alex from the Prison Reform Trust and Callum from the Prisoners Education Trust. Here's what happened when we got to unpack this super complex and nuanced issue. Hi, I'm Steph and you're listening to the NCS Youth Rising podcast. Today I'm in the studio with some contributors to talk about prison reform. Would everyone mind introducing themselves and telling me what it is you do and what prison reform is to you? Uh, I'm Alex from the Prison Reform Trust. Uh, For me, prison reform means having a justice system that works for everyone. It helps uh, people to turn their lives around uh, and reduce crime. I'm Callum. Um, For me, prison reform is about giving people the chance to fulfil their potential while they're in prison. I work for the charity Prisoners Education Trust, um, and we believe that everyone in prison should be given the chance to uh, discover their potential. And we think the best way to do that is through education. Um, So we fund uh, a whole range of different courses, including GCSEs and vocational courses like plumbing and construction and the starts of degrees, too, um, which aren't usually available in prisons. Uh, And last year we funded uh, around 1,700 courses. So uh, we work in every prison across England and Wales. Hi, I'm Eleanor. I'm one of the Youth Rising presenters. Um, I will second the experts in the room on what um, prison reform is. But yeah, I'm just hoping that I'll be informed by this conversation. Uh, So Alex, since you work, well, since your uh, charity works quite closely with prisoners, I was wondering if you could maybe give an overview of what sort of the average life is like for a a prisoner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, firstly, I don't think there is an average prisoner. You know, a a person's experience of prison can can really vary significantly. Um, But there are some common, there's some common experiences. So almost everyone will go 
at the beginning anyway to a local prison um you'll probably end up in a you're sharing a cell with someone you've never met before um it'll be a cell that would have originally been designed to hold one person now holds two um you'll be sharing a toilet there might be a screen if you're lucky um probably the shower curtain's probably already been torn down um and so and 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 that toilet will be right next to your bed so your experience you know when you go first go into prison will be you know quite eye-opening and bewildering um and don't forget at this stage you might not even been convicted of a crime you might have been sent to prison on remand so you've not been found guilty of doing anything um but you're being held there um and and so you know conditions across our prison estate you know whilst they are not all like that in all prisons your first experience in prison is going to be incredibly stressful well, I, as I said at the start, I work for um, a prison education charity. So we're really focused in on um, education and the opportunities that you can provide to people in prison to kind of turn their lives around, basically, while they're inside. Um, a lot of people who come into prison are coming from really difficult backgrounds, um, have experienced abuse, uh, addiction, uh, exclusion from school. Uh, I think around a quarter have come from care as well, have experienced care in their lives as well. Um, And so uh, for me, it's about giving them not really a second chance, but a first chance while they're in prison um, to uh, fulfil their potential and discover their potential, really. In terms of what prisoners um, can get up to in prison, sort of what um, they can, what societies or education or clubs perhaps they can be a part of, is there any sort of routines that they um, take part in? Um, It's... Uh, yeah, I mean, prison prison life, um, unfortunately, isn't isn't like being on a on a campus. Mm. Um, prison 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 life. Um, I mean, to be to be perfectly blunt, prison life could be twenty three hours spent in your cell, not wow. doing anything, um, trying to get through the day. Um, but um, that's not that is not universally the case. Mm. So um, you know, it may well be that you're you know you're you're woken up you're unlocked um probably late normally um and then you you know you you've already eaten your breakfast uh you might be able to get into uh you might be able to get into um training education um possibly um it depends on the prison though um you know in 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 principle we've got mechanisms like education training um healthcare appointments all of that you know all in house um but the pressures on the prison system mean that, you know, there's a fight. Someone's got to go to hospital. Mm. Okay, you haven't got enough staff, so you've all got to go back behind your door. Mm. So, you know, it may well be that you can, you know, that there might be education and training opportunities. Um, It might be um, that you're able to, you know, have a visit. It might be, you know, you've perhaps got a family member um, coming in. But again, you know, that isn't, you know, it sounds very straightforward, Mm. but actually just getting there when your family member's held, you know, 100 miles away can be an incredibly challenging situation. Right. So my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't there like classes of, are there classes of prisons? So like in terms of um, like at this level, Mm -hmm. so I was affiliated with someone who went to prison recently, yeah. maybe a couple of years ago, and I think they wanted to try to move to a different prison yeah. where they'd have different opportunities. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So in in the um, in England and Wales, we've got a system where you've got 
prisons that go from category A, which right, is the yeah. most secure, um, all the way down to um, category D. Okay. Um, which are open prisons. Okay. So we've heard a lot about the importance of education, especially within prisons. But in terms of how this can help when you leave, um, Callum, is there any way in which there you have, like, your charity especially, um, creates those links that are really vital for when um, prisoners do leave prison? Yeah, I think um, uh, one of the best parts of my job is meeting people who we funded when they were in prison. Um, so uh, just recently, someone who we funded for a proofreading course while um, uh, they were serving their sentence, uh, he's now got a job as a proofreader. Um, mm -hmm. They're uh, someone who is a big part of our kind of network. Um, we funded to do a degree in arts uh, and she's gone on and she's uh, an artist working for um, the Kersler Trust, which is a prison arts charity. Wow. Um, and we've actually worked with her. She's come along to our events and has actually done live drawing of the events, um, which is really exciting because it's seeing uh, what we do as a charity in action. It's seeing what kind of skills that uh, people have taken from their time in prison and mm. use when they've come out of it. Yeah. Even just then, I think I caught myself like <laughs> I heard prison art and then I heard art screen. I was like, whoa, like yeah. that it does. It does. I think so that's what's radical. On. And I think... I had to catch myself and be like, no, because being in prison isn't what defines your life or yeah. the rest of your life. Yeah. And actually, you a prisoner is maybe a thing that you've been through, but you're still an individual. Yeah. And I think that gets so lost in our society, the idea of still being an individual. And it, and it really, you know, pr prison life takes away so much. Mm. Yeah. You know, prison life takes away pretty much all control sure. over doing anything. And so to be able to try and reassert some control mm. in a creative way mm. can can be a massive outlet yeah. in diffusing tension. Defining you know, purpose. Exactly, purpose absolutely. That, yeah. See, what makes, like, literally, like what you were saying just then about it takes away so much control, what then just seems crazy to me is it's like when we release these people, we expect them to just... Mm be back in our yeah, society absolutely. and function yeah. and like look after themselves yeah, and yeah. all those basic tasks which maybe they haven't done for years for all sorts of all sorts of different things they now have to control and manage and work mm. out like yeah. that just seems mm. crazy I mean that, to and, me. and also the world has changed yeah you know not just the person Ta yeah you know, I mean the the I mean you know I'm just about old enough to sure. remember the world pre-internet mm. um but you know, for some people, that yeah. is just a very abstract wow. concept yeah. and everything is online Literally. and navigating the whole world is online. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, accessing, you know, benefits, universal mm. credit, it's online. You can't and you can't do that in yeah, prison. You can't be offline. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it's a huge challenge for people to readjust to a world mm. which they just do not recognise. Yeah. There's been some really positive work with employers. I don't know if you know about um, Timpsons, but they do really good work in terms of um, uh, working with people while they're in prison, uh, training them and then employing them uh, wow. once they've left. And, and that's kind of... It feels like there's a bit of momentum behind that with other employers, like I think Virgin and yep. Pret uh, do uh, things around that. And then there's also... Halfords uh, as well. Yeah, Halfords, yeah. Um, which is a really good thing. And it's kind of trying to create change. And it, it's also looking at... Uh, 
not just in terms of uh, skilling people up, but also looking at the fact that there's a thing called the ban the box campaign, which is around when you apply for a job for a lot of employers, they ask the question, have you got a criminal conviction uh, very much at the start of the process? And that puts for people... uh, who have convictions, that puts you off almost straight away because you either lie about it and have to say it at another stage or you think, I'm going to tick this and they're just going to put my application in the bin. Um, So a lot of employers are moving that question much further down the line so that it's a much more level playing field in terms of people applying and then you can kind of manage it at a kind of further stage. So you're judging people fairly. Um, And there's been good movement in terms of people taking that up as an initiative. And it's the same with universities as well, because that, that, that's, I mean, we're, you know, we're focused on education and education shouldn't stop at the prison gate. It, people who have got that passion for learning when they've mm-hmm. been in prison, uh, a lot of the time are being stopped from carrying on learning because universities don't have the uh, kind of paperwork in place to mm. give them the opportunity to carry on studying so um UCAS have now banned the box on um application forms and a lot of prisons are looking at how they can widen access to um, a lot of universities sorry looking at how they can widen access as well I didn't even think about that whole like once you get out like yeah continuing to develop what maybe you've started yeah Mm. that's really interesting wow So we've talked about some really interesting topics, but um, I think perhaps we should end on perhaps a high note because the things that you guys do really helps prisoners and helps sort of then get back into society and sort of make it better experience overall because obviously people go into prison to improve, not to uh, get worse. So um, can you perhaps shine a light maybe on the good things that have um, come out of your work that you've done? Oh, my my mind kind of overflows with lots of different things that are uh, are going on. Um, I think one thing that does come to mind is something that we do uh, as a charity. We um, kind of have a, a a directory of all the different sort of prison university partnerships that go on um, across um, England. So that's where uh, you'll have people uh, studying the same module, um, both in prison and out of prison in university. And so you'll bring students uh, into the prison and and they can study together. And I think uh, it really kind of chimes with a lot of what we've been speaking about in terms of changing public perception, because it gives you know, people who have just gone into university, the opportunity to see what prison is really like and to meet people who are in prison yeah. and to realise, you know, it's, yeah, it, you're not so different, you and I, that, mm. that sort of thing. Mm. So I think, and they're, they're kind of popping up all the time and it's been really positive to see the work that universities have been doing um, in that regard. Yeah, wow. I think, you know, prison pr- prison work is really challenging and, you know, we've, we've focused on a lot of the challenges and I think, you know, from, from our perspective, one of the really um, valuable things that we've been doing in, in recent years, we've established a program called the Prisoner Policy Network. And the idea is, is that you're tapping into all of the lived experience that people have got mm. from, from their lives in prison. And that they, you know, they live and breathe prison every day. Mm. And they see the things that don't work and they see the things that need to change Mm. and so you know for us as an organization being able to create meaningful change that is driven right from the ground up is so important i think it's really cool just to like even hearing you guys speak (laughs) this sounds great i can literally hear 
you talk about this topic for hours. I'm so interested. But um, we can talk about it for hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't encourage us. I think it's so cool that there are your kind of organisations sort of at the forefront leading with um, reform and kind of making the best out of it. And like you kind of said, one point that stuck with me is for the benefit of all of society. Mm -hmm. It's not just for those that are in the prison system so they can like have roses and daisies. Like that is not the situation at all. And as you were talking about before the conditions, it's not near that level. So people don't need to feel like Mm. they're being treated as if, they're having the best time of their lives mm, or yeah. anything like that. But I think Prison is no holiday. Exactly, camp. <laughs> exactly. So I think it's really cool to have um, organisations like yours really trying to push and essentially working for the good of all society. Well, that was a really interesting discussion and I'm glad we got some really um, good points out of that and I hope that everyone listening enjoyed it. Thanks to everyone in the studio. Thanks to the Prison Reform Trust and the Prisoners Education Trust and, of course, Eleanor. Um, I've been Stephanie and this is the NCS Youth Rising podcast. Thank you so much to Callum and Alex and, of course, to our Youth Rising reporter, Stephanie. That was a super interesting um, discussion to be a part of. I think one thing that really stuck with me from that discussion was the idea of we're not giving people a second chance, we're actually giving them a first chance because so many things in life have already um, set them up to fail. So that was an amazing discussion. Thank you so much, you guys. So in this section, we're getting the team to reflect on the process of making this podcast, what they learn, where they face challenges and what they'll do next time. It's basically a look at the story behind the story. Here's what Stephanie had to say about the experience of reporting on prison reform. So I just did a Skype call with some people to talk about prison reform. Um, We had a little panel discussion. It was very interesting. I really enjoyed listening to everyone. It was a bit difficult trying to sort of communicate since obviously I couldn't see their faces. So I was trying to sort of like, didn't know when to chip in, didn't know when to say stuff. But James, who was the producer, was good at sort of constructing the conversation. There was more repeating than I thought there would have to be like I stumbled a lot and obviously when you had to stumble you had to re-record um I'm speaking better now than I did on the on the panel discussion um I think perhaps I was a bit nervous and that's why I was a bit tense and a bit um I don't know I just but I tried to get as many questions as I could in and honestly it was just really nice hearing some really um hard-working people talk about something that they really care about and I'm hoping that it comes across well and Eleanor was really good as a presenter as well as a host so hopefully it comes out well hopefully I don't sound too like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm like shaking in my boots but uh, yeah it was a really interesting experience though um, but I did enjoy it as well. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. As we know, we live in a world that is literally always on. Whether it's first thing in the morning or last thing before we go to sleep, social media is always there to keep us up to speed with the latest news, celebrity gossip and viral trends. But what impact is this actually having on our own well-being? I wanted to delve into this issue a bit deeper. Here's what happened when I sat down with Laura Bartlett, the Leeds-based entrepreneur and editor of House of Coco magazine. 
it's really great to have you. Thank you so much for um, coming to speak with me. My pleasure. Um, so would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? So, yeah, my name is Laura Bartlett. I'm the founder of House of Coco, which is a luxury print travel magazine. Um, it's sold on the newsstands in London and collectively it's made up of a team called Team Coco. There's 50 of us in the team and we basically travel the world every single day, creating content, living our best lives, uh, inverted commas. <laughs> and we create content to inspire our readers to go out, travel the world and, um, yeah, tick off things from their bucket list. Right. So social media is obviously, I'm assuming, pivotal to what you do, right? Yeah, it's massive. It's a massive, massive part of it. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, can you just tell me a bit about like your journey and how you actually ended up getting to this point? Um, yeah, so the short version of the long story, basically, <laughs> when I was 19, I heard an advert on the radio at the time, I just failed all my A-levels mm. and I heard an advertisement for a media sales executive at the local radio station. And somehow at the age of 19, I fell into this job in radio, selling advertising, creating campaigns and um, fell into love with the world of media. Wow. And so nine, eight, eight years ago, I launched um, a magazine in Leeds called Urban Coco. It was all about fashion and events in the city. Sure. And um, became Leeds' first print magazine. And then from there, I went on Dragon's Den. Um, to ask for inter investment to launch internationally. I was totally annihilated by Peter Jones. Oh my gosh, yeah. I went on to prove the dragons wrong. I launched the magazine all over the world. Big up yourself. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, it did go wrong eventually. I ended mm. up bankrupt and I lost absolutely everything. So wow. five, five years ago, I started again. I launched a company called House of Coco. I decided it was going to be a travel magazine and it was going to be a platform for my team to go and see the world and, and that's where we are now. So obviously you just mentioned that you ended up going on to Dragon's Den, wasn't that successful in that situation. How did you kind of come out of that? Like, I guess with the coverage, it's quite a major show, getting contacted on social. What was that experience like? So um, at the time, you know, these days, social media plays such a massive part in television that they have to prep people for it. Right. When I was on Dragon's Den, you know, six, seven years ago, mm. this wasn't a thing as such. Yeah. So there wasn't any prep. There wasn't any warning. Um, there wasn't, you know, meetings with the producers to say this is what might happen. Right. There wasn't any follow up. And I've sort of spoken about this in the past to like family and friends and said, you know, Luckily, I'm a strong-willed person, so I was okay in that situation. Yeah. But if you've got insecurities or you don't have a support system, then if you put yourself out there to a global audience, then the chances are, you know, you mm. might react badly to that. And, you know, there was, I think, I, you know, I got thousands of new followers. I was verified mm. on Twitter. Wow. I got 3,000-plus emails within 24 hours. What? And a lot of them were emails of support. But oh, okay. what we do as a human race is we remember the bad ones of course, course, um course. so I had an email from someone telling me I looked like a pig in a frock mm, um I had someone who tweeted me saying that I just looked stupid and all these you know yeah. uh, thousands of positive ones but a handful of negative ones and, and it's really sticks. hard not to focus yeah, on those course, yeah course. so obviously that kind of raises the idea of people being <laughs> stupidly brave um when I guess they don't know you what how do you think that social media has kind of um, allowed this kind of culture where you can just say what you want to whoever 
keyboard warrior is kind of a phrase mm-hmm. that comes to mind. Like, what's your thought on that whole culture that is emerged out of this social media age? Well, it is such a shame because the things that these trolls and these keyboard warriors say on social media, they would never say to your face. Yeah, of course. And also, it tends to be fake accounts where they've set up fake email addresses and they're just going on a rampage trying to tear people down. But personally, I just think it says more about their lives than it does about your own. Because if they actually want to take time out to bring you down, then they're obviously not happy. And we can get so consumed in negative comments online, but we need to kind of take a step back and be like, you know what? These people aren't even who they say they are. They're not happy in their own life. Why do I care about the opinions of someone yeah. who who's on an app inside my phone? Sure. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, 100%. So what kind of like maybe advice as someone that's gone through that whole experience would you give to someone that would maybe have a similar kind of experience? What would you say in terms of that, like reacting to that um, sudden kind of uh, attention? I think as well, a lot of people do get consumed in it and that they start responding to people um, and then kind of giving them what they want. Personally, for me, I just think delete, block, move on. Don't get consumed in it and don't give them, you know, what they want to do is they want to take you off your path. This whole social media stuff is just insane. But then I guess there's also the positive. So then for you personally, how often do you end up checking your socials every day, would you say? For my own social media, I don't, I actually recently checked the, um, you know, the statistics on your phone where it tells you what you use the most. Mm, Oh, mine are shameful. (laughs) Oh God, it's bad, isn't it? I look I like I looked a while ago and it was like six hours of yeah, usage. Literally. Do you find yourself um being able to kind of like get off it for a period of time and be like not so sucked in where you can actually detach? Hundred percent. I think I'm of a generation where I I, you know, I'm 33 years of age, so right. I grew up without social media mm. and then like, social media came around in my late teens. So I, I purposely make a decision, you know, every now and then just to kind of detach myself from the internet. Um, I went on a detox retreat last weekend for wow. three days in Essex How? and just turned my phone off for the whole weekend. How did you find think, that? Oh, it's great. I'd really? never turn it back on if I didn't have to, to be really? honest. I think wow. people think that they just want to check it all the time, mm. but the minute you make a decision not to, you actually realise you can have conversations with people. Mm, I get what you mean. <laughs> ha, like Good old-fashioned conversation. Yeah, literally. That's really interesting. I feel like my generation, or sometimes the fear that I have is that I'm going to like miss something. Mm-hmm. See, people have got the f- FOMO, fear of missing out. Li- yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, Jomo, so I've got the joy of missing out. Oh, Jomo. <laughs> That's jokes. Okay, so why were people at the detox, do you think? Um, well, actually, some of the people that were at the detox you might have heard of. So Fleur East was there. No she way. was X Factor. So we were like hanging out in the pool with her. Oh, that is so lit. Uh, <laughs> That's so fun. Which is cool. Like, I don't know if she was purposely having a digital detox on her phone, yeah. but not once did I see her with a phone at dinner or yeah. at, you know, pool. And then um, Lucy Watson from Made in Chelsea. So she was there with her family. And like nobody at any stage did I see them with their mobile phone. That's so and interesting. So interesting because, you know, these people do live on the internet. Yeah, they're high profile people. Like it it would seem to me like to unplug for them is quite tough. But then I guess equally it must be they're maybe the ones that it's most necessary for. Exactly. In some ways. 
And it, and this retreat was all about self-care, which I think is a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Everyone's yeah, used to on self-care, self-care, self-care. And it's like, mm. it means different things to different people. But on this specific trip that I was on, mm. we had a, a, like a night where we kind of all gave feedback and everyone was saying it was just so nice to sort of switch off yeah. from the world, focus on myself, have a clear mind. Yeah. And flesh feeling, you know, great. So I guess as well at the moment, what's kind of trending and is a big hot topic is um, whether the wellness of people on these social media sites lies with the actual social media companies or, you know, with themselves. What is your kind of take on that whole situation? I do think that the social media sites can take some responsibility. I know Instagram mm. tried to make changes um, and help with that by removing likes. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. Sure impact that has had. Um, but I do think that we can only blame them to a certain extent because when, you know, Facebook launched and Instagram launched, they didn't launch this with the sole purpose to give right. people mental health issues. You know, it, it was launched as a vehicle for people to connect more. Sure. But the irony is that it's just disconnected yeah. people. Right. I think I think what's important is making sure you only follow accounts that uplift you, yeah, motivate definitely. you, make you feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. If you ever see something popping up on your feed that makes you question yourself, doubt yourself, Mm. or you know get low self-esteem then Mm. just click the unfollow button or mute if you don't want them to know you unfollowed them there we go (laughs) there we go be sly (laughs) well thank you so much laura um for joining me i've really enjoyed talking about this with you and um just before we kind of wrap up i would love to know your kind of top tip for staying healthy and happy on social media it would literally be what i just kind of concluded with there which is um, mute people, unfollow mm. people that do not make you feel good yeah. about yourself and do not compare yourself to people on the internet because guaranteed they still have down days and nobody shows the bad stuff. Yeah, protect your energy. <laughs> protect your energy. Loads to take away from that discussion. And don't forget, protect your energy at all costs. If there's someone that's stopping you from living your best life, simply unfollow. So for me, the experience of doing a one-on-one interview was definitely new, definitely out of my comfort zone, but I really enjoyed it. Developing my style and being able to make it more of a conversation. I actually had my producer in the room at the time, literally shoving questions in my face um, during the talk. So I was literally trying to multitask and it was all a bit crazy, but um, some great experience. I think that I'm definitely growing in my ability and I feel myself just getting more and more confident every time I step in the studio. Thank you so much for joining us for our third Youth Rising podcast by NCS. Each episode will bring you stories that matter to young people and next week we're discussing loneliness and diversity in sport. If you've been inspired by the stories in this podcast, visit wearencs.com to find out how you can get involved. Youth Rising. Youth Rising. Youth Rising. By NCS.